Yeah, Lord, I just thank you for Alison. Lord, I thank you for the preparation that has gone into this talk. And I pray that you will just anoint her words, God. Lord, your words always bring life. They always bring transformation. And so just anoint Alison as she speaks. Lord, give her a clear mind and anoint her words, I pray. Amen. Amen. So I'll just test out my microphone and see that everybody uh, can nod and say that they can hear me okay, which is great. Um, so it's really great to be talking to you today, and um, I'll just say a few words about myself, um, because you're probably um, not knowing who I am. Um, my name's Alison, as Paul said. Um, I'm married to Steve, sitting here close to the front. I'm a mother of three grown-up children, and I joined this church um, approximately two years ago, which coincided almost exactly with the COVID and pandemic, which was challenging, um, challenging time to join the church when you have on the front foot wanting to get to know people. However, thanks to technology, thanks to things like Zoom coffee um, breakout rooms after the service. I did manage that, and I now feel that I know quite a lot of people in this room. So just hands up if you ever went to a coffee breakout room after the service like I did. Shows some history, doesn't it? Um, so um, that's, that's a little bit about me. The other thing to know about me is that um, I've become quite familiar with this changes that heal material. Sometimes you hear it called churches that heal. It's pretty much the similar stuff. And I've had some experience being part of a pilot, experiencing that material for myself. And I've also had the privilege of co-facilitating a number of groups through a number of courses that we've been running here. And I really do recommend the course, really do think that it's excellent, so much so that I've been able to borrow some of it and slip it out to the people that I support in my role as a community mental health chaplain. That's how good I think it is. And as Paul said today, today we are going to round off this series that we've been running here recently. And again, I would echo what Paul said, do try and catch up with those previous talks if you haven't heard the, the three that have gone before the one that I'm doing today. Um, as I say, today is the last one of the series, and the title, as you see here, is Becoming an Adult. So I don't know what you make of that title. I think it's quite an intriguing title, actually, because here I am talking to a room full of adults. So what is that about I could substitute some alternative titles. For example, I could substitute that title with knowing our equality with each other, or using our God-given authority, or perhaps something about maturing into the image of God. There's a, there's a pick of choices that are possible there. But one thing is for sure, that defining this subject area is much easier than learning to become an adult. <laughs> Especially if you're learning to become an adult while you're already living in an adult body. 
So I'm going to hand over to Dr. Cloud now for our final nine-minute video, um, as we've been doing in previous weeks. Then I will come back and say a little bit more about it. And I'm also going to tell you something about my journey in all this too. So over to the video, I hope. Okay, guys, so we talked about three big issues, bonding and boundaries and putting the good and bad together. And now we're going to talk about this last one, and that's the problem of how a human gets to be a fully functioning adult. How do you become an adult? Because you know what? You are one, and you're living an adult life, but the problem is sometimes we still haven't really attained our adulthood because every human starts out a little person in a big person's world, and you got this, you know, this, this inferior, smaller, you don't know where the food is, the authority figures, the parental authorities, they have all the expertise. That's actually what authority means, it means expert. So what happens is these experts, they start out and this little baby grows up and then they start delegating expertise to that little kid as they develop skills. Well, the first one is, Finally, you develop the skills to, you know, put the food in your mouth. So now mom and dad, they sit you in a chair and say, you feed yourself. Well, you've grown up a little bit. And then you learn how to pick your own friends because you're getting better at that. Johnny pokes me with a stick and Billy gives me a popsicle. I think I'll go play with Billy. Good job. You know, now you can pick your own friends. Right about here, you go through this overthrow of the government <laughs> that we call adolescence where you're taking back and fighting out those adolescent battles of now you're going to, at 18 or 22 or some age right there in California, I think it's 47, you actually become an adult. And you're an equal to other adults. Some people grow up under authorities that injure their expertise. They make them believe, you don't have any talents. i got to think for you. I want your opinion, I'll tell it to you. And so... Just like Galatians 4 describes, it says, when we were children, we were under guardians and managers, meaning parents, until the date set by the father, called the bar mitzvah, or the bat mitzvah, where now they say, you are an adult. Jesus put it this way. He said, don't come, because the Pharisees tried to lord over their authority on everybody, Right? And he said to the people, he said, look, we're talking about the Pharisees, don't call anyone on earth your leader, your rabbi, your teacher, because you are all brothers. Because really there's only, now that you're an adult, there's no more parents in your life other than your biological parents that you honor, but you don't, you don't obey them anymore. See, now you're your own parent, so to speak. You're your guardian, you're your manager. Now, that doesn't do away with authorities in our life. You know, as an adult, you sign up, you sign a contract with another authority called a boss, but you're an equal person. And you agree to submit to that boss in that role, but you're an equal person. So you respect your opinions as much as you respect theirs. You have the freedom to think for yourself. You have your own area of talents and all of that. You don't feel inferior as a person but you have a role that you submit to. Okay, so having said that, 
talked about some problems, right? What do you get put down by authority figures? What if you're criticized? What if you're never equipped? What if you're never taught? What if you're never, you know, given opportunities to go learn? Well, you never really grow up psychologically or emotionally. So then what happens? I come into adult relationships. Well, you walk around feeling like a kid in an adult's body with adult requirements. Man, is that depressing. Inferiority complexes, guilt, anxiety. What if every time I give a presentation, I'm afraid of everybody's opinion because now instead of feedback, I take it as judgment. You know, the Bible says the fear of man is a snare. Jesus said, beware if everybody likes you. If everybody approves of you, that means you're not upsetting anybody by your opinions. It means you have to be three or four people and duplicitous. And we can't live up trying to be people pleasers. And being a people pleaser from a child position is a host of all sorts of emotional problems. Anxiety, depression, addictions, fear, relational problems, power struggles, competition, comparisons. And I get the question, you know, how do I get self-confident? I need more self-confidence. And they're looking for a formula to be self-confident. Well, let me give you the formula for self-confidence. It's called competency. That's how it works. I can't be incompetent and expect myself to feel like an equal to competent people. So this is a lot of growing up, so I have skills development. How many of you just walked across the room today? Okay, most of you did. When you took a step where you feel like, am I doing good enough? Am I just, do they approve? Am I walking right? This, that, and the other? No. Can I make it across? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. It seems risky. No, you didn't. Because you've been walking long enough, you're competent to walk across the room. So you walk across the room. How, did, how does somebody become a competent surgeon? They start out as a student and they practice and they develop skills and they practice. They go through residency. And one day they're sitting at the table and they're teaching others to come up. So a big part of this is the work we need to do to own your talents. And you got to disagree with some parents some, along the way. One of them might want you to be a musician. You say, you know what, I'm not a musician. One of them might want you to be an athlete. You say, that's, that's not what my talents are. And the freedom to differentiate and find God's will for you. You know, Romans 12, the only passage, one of the only ones, if, if there's many more, I don't know about them. It's the only one that says that how to find the will of God. You know what it says? It says start by giving yourself to Him, Romans 12, and you have your mind fixed. You have your mind transformed. And then it says, get this stuff out of your head, and then you'll be able to discern the perfect will of God and where it goes right after that. Read the next handful of verses. It says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Don't think you ought to be an expert when you're not because you're going to be subject to judgment. But it says, take your gift, whatever it is, and start to use it with the amount of faith you have to use it. And gradually it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And then there you are. That's a process. So I'm going to challenge you a lot on this one. I'm going to challenge you because attaining adulthood is not something that somebody can give to you. It's something that somebody recognizes, like the date set by the father, I recognize you, son or daughter. Now you are one of us. But you've proven that by developing your skills and talents and abilities and all of that stuff. So you got to start to disagree maybe with some authority figures, you know?
I don't mean you don't submit to your boss, but you have an opinion. See, when we begin to work on these issues of becoming an adult, having our own opinions, your own talents, your body's going to grow up. It's going to become less depressed. Gonna, a lot of stuff is going to happen. Because all, all, these, all these personal issues, you should have the right to decide those. Romans 13 and 14 says, whatever you disagree about, about all these areas of life with people that aren't pure doctrine, it says, have your own opinion. It says, shut up and don't tell anybody. You shouldn't tell somebody else how to live. So I want you to begin to look at the questions in the book, begin to think about your own talents, taking risks, having some failures, having some opinions, stop treating people like gods that they're not, grow up, and then you're gonna see incredible changes that heal in a lot of areas. So another amazing video there. I'm really gonna miss not having one next week, I think. Um, so, as I said, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to tell you a little bit about my journey into becoming an adult. And you, you'll hear how some of the things that you heard in that video have affected me. And it's also going to pick up, in fact, on some of the other themes we've been looking at as well. So we've been looking at relational attachment, boundaries, processing good and bad. All of that is going to come in to the story that I want to tell you. So, I grew up with my mother and father and two brothers in the Midlands, and it was just the five of us for most of my life, and we didn't follow God, not at all. My parents waited a long time before they had children, which was quite unusual back then. And before I want to go on, I just want to say that there was a lot of positive things that my parents gave me, but they were not perfect. And in respect to this subject today, becoming an adult, they didn't come through for me in certain areas. And I've had to be really careful about the words that I've chosen to describe what went on. Um, and so I'm being quite intentional about the words I'm used. I think a significant problem for me was that my parents were not adjusted to social times or norms. So dad was a head of the household kind of figure and respect and deference was really important to him. And he could get quite irritated if things were not done his way. And mum, what was she like? Well, she struggled to appreciate people who were different to her. That's most of us, isn't it? And she had very fixed ideas when it came to roles for males and females, which even brought into question the value of my education as a girl compared to my brothers. Mum also had many fears that influenced her thoughts and actions. And over time, they came to influence me too. Fears that the world was not a safe place for girls and that children grow up these days far too quickly they should be able to enjoy their childhood for longer than they do. So if I was to use some words to describe myself, going to choose the age eight, what was I like? I would choose words that are rather similar, words like compliant, eager to please, passive. It was a mix of adapting to the parenting I received, and I also think my sensitivity. Then if I jump to the age of 18, what was I like then? 
I was about to go to university. I wasn't yet a Christian, although in a term that was about to change. But here I was about to leave home. What was I like? Well, I had some coping mechanisms firmly in place by now, and the key one I want to use is a bit of a grand word, which is identification. What that basically means is that I tried to identify with what others valued to satisfy my need for approval, which substituted for my need to be seen and loved. And although I tried to look confident on the outside, Underneath, I was insecure, I felt unimportant, especially as a woman, and I felt bothered by many negative emotions, such as we've heard, depression, anxiety, rejection, shame, but I didn't tell anybody, not anybody, because that was not the family motto I was not permitted to. Anyway, I'm going to return to myself later, but first, let's look at what the Bible has got to say about how things originally were intended to be. Cloud has already touched on one passage from Galatians, so I thought it would be good to start at that place. Galatians 4, 1 to 7 says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So quite a long passage I've read out there. But the Apostle Paul is making the point here that there comes a certain age in our life that we call adulthood when we need to come out from being under guardians or managers, or for us, our parents, to enjoy an equal but, of course, respectful relationship with them. And that's what I'm trying to talk about today. Not being in a one-up, one-down kind of relationship with anybody, but we are to be turned over to the direct fatherhood of God and his authority so that we can, as it says here, be adopted by him as his children. And that's worth pausing on because adoption is the very best thing that can ever happen to us in our life, to be adopted by our heavenly father. At the age of adulthood, we are to be free to start owning and enjoying all the privileges belonging to adults. Privileges to use our own talents, values, beliefs, to have our own relationship with God, our own tastes, our friends, church choice, and so on, which is wonderful. That's the promise to us. And as well as this Galatians passage, there are many others in the New Testament that I could pick upon, which talk about this theme of adulthood or maturing in the New Testament. 
So here's another one that I've chosen from Ephesians 4, which speaks about the body of Christ being built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. And so it goes on. I think this passage speaks quite well for itself, but I'm also going to pull now from one in Genesis, going right back to the very beginning. This is where the subject is first mentioned about taking authority. So I've got verse 26 up on the slide now, reading from the message version. It says, let us make human beings in our image Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, were to take responsibility. Other versions of the Bible use similar words. We were to rule, we were to have dominion, we were to exercise authority, and we're called to do the same thing today as part of being made in the image of God. That's who we are. But reading on, we know that the fall came and interrupted that plan, of course, until Jesus came and provided an opportunity for us to have a way out. How successful we are to fulfill God's original intention to rule is directly related to how much we walk in him. But as I've said, it's not always straightforward because we live in a broken world. And this presents all sorts of challenges in the growing up process. Here's a graph. Just looking at the blue line at this stage, We've got the, the left-hand side, parental responsibility, and the timeline. Here we are, age zero, and the parents have all the responsibility for us, um, all the expertise. And then hopefully, if the process goes smoothly, we should follow this blue line until we come to the age of 18, or whatever age it is we decide adulthood begins, and we find ourselves over on this side of the chart, a nice smooth blue line there, if it all goes well. And there are certain core needs that need to have been met. I'll just go back to this. If this line is to stay nice and straight, and the sources of these core needs, not surprisingly, is our parents. They become our role models most normally, which brings me on to this diagram, which looks a bit busy, but I'm going to talk us through it. It's a life stages diagram. There are three um, horizontal bits of text to look at, if you like, starting from left to right. At the top, we've got the age groups, zero to two, two to four, and so on through our life. At these stages, at these ages in our life, if we develop well and normally, we will hopefully have um, these skills, these traits, developing and building in our life, like trust, autonomy, and so on. However, if it doesn't go well, we look at the bottom line and all the unhappy faces along the bottom of the screen uh, where we can see mistrust, doubt, shame. 
So to give an example of that, looking at the beginning, the zero to four kind of age bracket, where so much of our development begins, doesn't it? We look at that stage, and I know that when we talked about relational attachment and boundaries, some of these things needed to have developed in that early stage of our life. So in the zero to four age group, love and trust, and then autonomy, is the foundation for all the development that follows. And then, if that doesn't happen, we, we look to the bottom of the chart. Mistrust, doubt, shame, guilt develops. Between the ages of four to six, taking initiative and the need for approval becomes particularly important. And when that's missing, we see guilt. Then, looking at the 7 to 11-year-old age group, competence and mastery of tasks become significant at this age. If those skills don't develop in us, inferiority usually develops. And uh, I'll also just jump in and look at this early adolescent stage, just because it ends at the age of 18. Here, the skills that we are hoping will develop are group identity. That's what's seen as key on this chart. And when that's missing, alienation can develop. So I am going to stop there, but if you do cast your eyes slightly to the right, you'll see that there it's suggested that adulthood begins at age 25 to 45. But it's obviously a matter of um, discussion. When does adulthood actually begin? Anyway. I'm sure Jesus would have followed this blue line on the chart. I wonder, where would you put yourself? I think I probably followed the dotted line. I'm calling that me, um, as opposed to the normal child, because I'd not learned how to think, feel, or behave for myself. And I'm going to illustrate this by looking at the subject of power, for example. And I'll come on to the other line that you've probably noticed. Power, as Jesus exercised it, was appropriately gentle and loving, but at the same time, firm and righteous. For me, it was often controlling and could feel threatening and led some, to some fear, retreating, and even freeze responses in me. Maybe for some of you, power that kept down or put down led to a response of rebelliousness. That's what the orange line is. You are sat upon, you are suppressed, and you take your authority rather early in life, perhaps age 13, 14. You overthrow the government in a not very healthy way. That's what can happen when our parents push us down. It might also mean that you have difficulties later on in your work life submitting to leadership. So I've called that the wild rebel child. So that's a word about power, but then I want to talk about expertise as well. Jesus would have first become skilled in his father's earthly trade as a carpenter. He developed, but we know that he developed an amazing understanding of the scriptures as well because he went on and taught them so well that people marveled. It's important while growing up 
that children have lots of opportunity to learn and acquire expertise. I had the chance to learn ballet, table tennis, and other hobbies, but I was not skilled at practically in simple things, even like changing a light bulb, because that was seen as men's work. And strangely enough, though, I didn't learn how to cook either. I wonder if it was because my mum's belief that domestic life would be mine when I got married, she assumed I'd get married, and therefore I should be free of all that stuff when I was a little girl. I'm speculating, but that's what I think. Dad, too, used to look over my homework for me, and it was regularly improved to the point I got into the habit of asking him to do it for me because I enjoyed all the praise that it got me at school. And sometimes when I found my maths homework too difficult, my exasperated mum would allow my younger brother to do it for me instead. As you can imagine, that led to a diminished sense of self in me. I'm also going to touch on the area of correction. This is another area related to taking authority. Good parenting modelled by God himself is for a loving and accepting relationship between the ideal and the real that encourages our growth. Failing and trying again is part of that. Towards me, correction was mostly critical and love seemed conditional on doing the right thing. Towards my older volatile brother, it took the form of shouting and anger in efforts to control him. The sad thing is that over time, I became my own critical parent. I swallowed my parents' voice, so to speak, and learned to judge myself with ought, should, and must kind of language. So these are just a few of the things I wanted to touch on of the challenges that I faced while I was growing up. But I wonder, how about you? Can you relate to any of this in your childhood? And how about in the world of adults as well? How might it play out if we feel one down to other people? Well, in the workplace, it could be that you feel tempted to compete with your peers or to compare yourselves to them. Or it could be that if you're a boss yourself, perhaps you find it difficult to delegate and to develop other people, bring them up to your level. In church, it could be that you find it difficult to leave behind inherited beliefs and to develop your own heartfelt convictions based on God, his word, and your own experiences. If you're married, maybe you experience difficulties leaving your parents sufficiently and what the Bible would talk about, cleaving to your spouse. In different areas, our Parents or our parents-in-law can have far too much influence in our marriage in the area of finances, emotionally, practically, or with our time. Or maybe you have an unhealthy dependency on your spouse in some essential life skill area that you don't know how to do for yourself. There are many scenarios that I haven't discussed, and if you cared to get Cloud's workbook, he fills pages and pages of many, many more examples if you're interested. But I'm going to return to my story again to describe how it turned out for me feeling, as I did, a little person in a big person's world. So jumping into my 20s, I worked as a town planner, 
And then later, after a long career gap, I became an adult education teacher. In both roles, I felt that if I was good and perfect, then I would be loved. So I aimed to always be polite, to try harder, to be strong, to agree with, to get on with everybody. And I also aimed to not fail, not make a fuss, or need people for things. Strangely enough, I was keen to win others' approval through hard work, but I kept a respectful distance from authority figures whenever possible. In my job as a teacher, I found the constant teaching observations and preparations for Ofsted highly stressful because it felt like an evaluation of my own worth, not my work, but me. And I think that's a shame because it goes with the territory of being a teacher, being assessed, and having Ofsted turn up all the time. In my church, I volunteered in all my extra free time um, in ministry areas, I literally became a workaholic. Some of it was good passion for God. Some of it was because I wanted to live a meaningful, purposeful life. But at one point, I was heading up two ministry areas, one of which was the church's pastoral team. And there I was offering my support to people inside the church and to... Uh, a marginalized group outside of the church, but I was not looking after myself. So it was hardly a wonder that stress symptoms were starting to show up more and more in my life. Seeming success and ministry acted as a great way to stay away from what was not right in my life until I couldn't. I've mentioned already that I was majorly sensitive to criticism or judgment. And when that came to me one day, in the form of a meeting with a godlike person, an authority figure in my life, my world fell apart. The strong anxiety responses triggered in me meant that I needed to go on beta blockers for my blood pressure for a while. It was a disproportionate reaction to what was actually said between us, but remember that I had a pre-existing fear of authority figures and my self-esteem rested solely on what I thought others thought about me. And there were other stresses in the mix as well. In particular, we moved south not long afterwards and there I was in a totally new place, having left behind everything that was familiar, all my hooks for approval and still not feeling well, it proved too much. The combination of things took me into a burnout that lasted for several years. It proved to be an extremely painful period in my life, but I can now tell you with hindsight, it also meant I entered into a new period of being rebuilt for the better by God. And in this last section of my talk, I'm going to talk about what helped me recover, heal, and grow, because God came and met me in my brokenness. So, I'm using Cloud's winning formula, as I call it, of grace and truth and time, and I've arranged them in this table under various columns. First thing under grace I, I talk about there is reaching out to others, connecting to others, all sorts of others. I had to because I couldn't hold in the pain any longer. 
I had tried to sort myself out on my own through a few quick trips to the GP, through lots of praying, through reading all sorts of emotional self-help books. Funnily enough, even Cloud's material, Changes That Heal, came across my path at that time. But doing it all myself wasn't enough. I needed others. And I'm glad I reached out, because when I did, when I started to voice my story, find my voice, shame lost its power, and I, be, and I found love and acceptance, and not the historic criticism, which is brilliant. So this was a good first step, but even better still is my second point there, sit, not do, or another way of putting it is sitting at the feet of Jesus. This has felt like the thing that has anchored me in everything else that I mention on this slide. And it's increasingly helped me come home to my true, authentic self, the person God had made me from the beginning of time to be, just I'd never discovered it. To change the illustration for a moment, it had helped me go from being my little acorn self, protected, constrained with all my coping mechanisms, and start transforming into my maturer oak tree self, the real me. When it was first suggested I sit with Jesus, I had absolutely no idea what was being suggested to me to do. It was so counterintuitive to the way I practiced my Christianity up to this point. I used to rush around doing things. Perhaps you understand what sit, not do means, um, but I didn't back then. What I mean is a more contemplative way of being, just spending time being with Jesus like Mary did in the Bible. Others use the word centering and abiding. Earlier, I talked about walking with Jesus, didn't I? It's about making ourselves present to God, enjoying intimacy with him, and creating the opportunity to hear his still, small voice speaking to us. We sang about it even this morning, didn't we? About joy is found in communion with you. It's that personal relationship that uh, what is what we're talking about. And the more I listened to that still small voice, the more I started to recognize why I had responded the way I had in the past. And I was able, in particular, middle column, to start identifying some of my distorted thinking. I'd been a Christian for many decades by now. I'd been to Bible school and so on. I knew I was loved. I knew I was valued. I knew I was a child of God even. But it seems that there are some things that just take a long time, for me anyway, to travel from my head to my heart. And sitting and meditating on key scriptures helped me until I could actually start experiencing and really starting owning and living out these truths for myself. Perhaps you found that. I started to hear loud and clear God's, I am for you, I love you, and I knew I was coming nearer to seeing myself as God sees me, which is so crucial. And I was able to start seeing God as he really is, not necessarily what I thought he was like. 
Another thing sitting with Jesus helped me do was to parent myself. Talked about my thinking, but it also helped me in my internal voice. It might sound a strange thing to parent myself, but what I mean is I was able to take responsibility for myself and my reactions to life and to respond from my core adult. So if I was feeling a fearful, anxious child in that big person's world, I could reassure that part of me and comfort her, just like an adult would to any small, scared child. Equally, when I was aware of the inner critic in me, the, being the dominant voice, I could settle that part of me and let her know that there was a confident, competent, and calm adult at the helm. And I could remind myself that God does not require me to be perfect. I already, we already have his total approval. Finally, a word on the last column, time. Sitting at the feet of Jesus over a period of time, living from his infinite source, discovering more of my true self, with my own preferences, my own authentic expression has helped me grow in some of these adult-like skills listed in this third column that Cloud also talked about. So I was able to find my voice, for example, out of my true self to start making decisions. Cloud talked about that. I was able to start disagreeing with others. And I now think I'm a beautifully argumentative sort of person. <laughs> So you just ask Steve about that. As we heard in the video, we can also learn to develop our talent. So I won't repeat what Cloud said, but he did talk about developing our competence, didn't he, um, as part of that. For me, that meant from going from being a town planner, a job really I just went into because I loved pretty buildings and I didn't know what else to do, to a role much more suited to me, the world of emotional and mental health as a chaplain, where I believe God is using me as a wounded healer. And finally, we can learn new skills. It's as simple, whether it's as simple as learning to change a light bulb or something a little bit more complicated. Because when we live from our true adult self, united in God, we are free to change, to grow, to experiment, to mature without fear of failure. And we can do that, if we do that with prayer and practice and perseverance, then these can become embedded ways of being in us. I am skimming the surface and I'm mindful of the time in all this, but if you want more information, I'd say get the book, try the course. To summarize, I'd say I know God has been maturing me, and I'm grateful. He's turning me more into my oak tree self. Part of the journey has been recognizing my parents weren't perfect and having compassion on them. Another part has been doing lots of inner growth work in myself, and I've learned that we learn best with the help of each other, which is why I like this material, why life groups are so important in this church, and so on. And this Ephesians 4 passage, just looking at the last sentence there, the last phrase, it talks about the body growing so that it builds itself up in love. 
I get excited by this verse because it shows that the whole body, knitted and joined together, heals itself as each part does its work. We are each different, we are each unique, we are each irreplaceable, yes, but we need each other as part of the body to mature. So to bring this into land, I wonder if there are things God is stirring in you this morning. Are there some childlike tendencies the Holy Spirit is bringing to your attention? Perhaps there are some areas where you feel you need God's help to heal or to mend. And in a minute, we can pause and ask God about that in the safety of this space. And I will invite Paul up, and there will be a ministry opportunity. First, though, I want to pray something of a long prayer, but I would like to read it to you because it's helped shape me recently and ensure that I keep doing this sitting at the feet of Jesus rather than thinking about this talk. I hope this prayer will be an opportunity for us all to settle and to engage with Jesus for ourselves. I'm going to suggest that you stay seated in your chair for this prayer, and you might like to respond in a number of different ways. I will read some words out of a prayer. This is the first part of it. You can listen to me reading it, Look at the words on the screen. Alternatively, you might like to close your eyes, enter into a meditative space, and let the words wash over you. I have also got these words. Nigel has kindly printed them out for me, so they are available if you want to take them away and meditate on them further in your own time. But let's pray. O oh God, gather me now to be with you as you are with me. Soothe my tiredness, quiet my fretfulness, curb my aimlessness, receive my compulsiveness. Let me be easy for a moment. O oh Lord, release me from the fears and guilt which trip me so tightly from the expectations and opinions which I so tightly grip, that I may be open to receiving to learn something refreshingly different. O oh Lord, gather me to be with you as you are with me. Forgive me for claiming so much for myself that I leave no room for gratitude, for confusing exercises in self-importance with acceptance of self-worth, for complaining so much of my burdens that I become a burden, for competing against others so insidiously that I stifle celebrating them and receiving your blessing through their gifts. O oh God, gather me to be with you as you are with me. Keep me in touch with myself, with my needs, my anxieties, my angers, my pains, my corruptions, that I may claim them as my own rather than blame them on someone else. O oh Lord, 
deepen my wounds into wisdom, shape my weakness into compassion, gentle my envy into enjoyment, my fear into trust, my guilt into honesty, my accusing finger into tender ones. O oh God, gather me to be with you as you are with me. Amen.